When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. So I've had a lot of people, Rush, what, what, what does it mean? What the judge is doing allowing Watergate prosecutors to weigh in on the Flynn thing? Well, I'll be happy to try to explain this to you, my friends. Man, is there a lot brewing out there today. As there sadly is each And every day we're on top of all of it, looking forward to the next three hours. Broadcast excellence hosted by me, Rush Limbaugh. Really great to have you with us, folks. Telephone number is 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushbo at eibnet.us. The judge in this case is Emmett Sullivan. And just, just to refresh, the Department of Justice has decided to throw the Flynn case out. There's no case. They literally have no case. There is no evidence. There was nothing. The whole thing was manufactured. The DOJ is throwing it out. So a bunch of Watergate-era dinosaur lawyers have petitioned the judge to file amicus briefs. You don't file amicus. Friend of the court is what amicus brief means. And it's, it's entirely without getting into the into the weeds here on legal issues. It's entirely irrelevant, uncalled for, and not relevant or necessary in this case. But the judge is going to permit it. The judge is Emmett Sullivan. He's a Clinton appointee. And the thing about this that's curious is Emmett Sullivan presided over the Ted Stevens trial, which he threw out because of the same kind of prosecutorial abuse that has gone on here. Yet in this case, Sullivan, the judge, is on record as having called Michael Flynn a traitor. He's on record as wanting Flynn to be punished far more severely than the DOJ, even when it was an active case, wanted Flynn punished. So the judge doesn't want to let them get away with just dropping the case. 
Now, the judge cannot try a case the DOJ doesn't bring to court. So it isn't about that. It's not about Judge Sullivan trying to force Barr and the DOJ into submitting for a trial and to present the evidence or lack of it. It's about something that's, well, depending how you look at these things, far more far more sinister. Uh Judge Sullivan, you should know, refused 25 times to allow amicus briefs written and to be submitted on behalf of Flynn. During the phase of this where it was an actual case before the DOJ had dropped it, there were 25 separate requests for friends of Flynn to file amicus briefs on his behalf, and this judge refused all 25 times. Legal experts will tell you that case law generally prohibits trial court judges like this from second-guessing the government's decision not to prosecute a defendant. But it is really rare for a judge to ask for, or in this case permit, amicus briefs when the prosecution has decided, decided to drop a case. So what's happened here, the DOJ and Barr announced they're going to drop the case. And these Watergate guys, led by Richard Benvenista, this we're talking about lawyers whose heyday was in the 1970s, folks, are demanding to be heard. They're demanding, they want to prolong this. They want to be able to give the media something they can go on record to counter this case Because the news of the case is there isn't a case. There wasn't any collusion. The Russians, if anything, we have now learned, were helping Hillary. And we have that sourced from none other than John Brennan, Obama's CIA director. That's coming up here in just a second. So what these lawyers, pure partisan left-wing Democrat hacks, have asked the judge to do is to give them a forum to file these briefs in which they can claim Flynn is guilty, that Flynn did it, that Barr is a reprobate, that this is nothing more than Trump politicizing justice, and oh, how horrible, because they know that the media is going to cover and expose and promote and amplify whatever it is they submit as their amicus briefs. It's simply a way, and the judge is complicit, of creating a phony news cycle that will continue the original attempt to suggest that Flynn is guilty. I mean, what are these people got a friend of the court brief, friend of the friend of friend of what? Friend of who here? Who are they friends of? Who are these Watergate lawyers friends of? Well, they're friends of the court in this case. What are they arguing? They're arguing DOJ should not drop the case. They don't have a case. That's why it's being dropped. It's that simple. Ask any lawyer. There's no case here. But Rush, but Rush, Flynn fled guilty. Fled guilty. Nope, 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 nope. Been through this. Flynn pled guilty twice because they were threatening him with ruination. They threatened KT McFarland. The same thing with Roger Stone. It's how you get guilty, please. It's how this particular bunch of lawyers, the Mueller team, the Enron Task Force, it's how they operate. It is outrageous what these people have done. They've put people in jail who have not committed crimes with the willing participation of judges. They cost Ted Stevens his 
Senate seat, then he has a heart attack and dies. The case gets dropped. They never had a shred of evidence against Ted Stevens. It was made up. The star witness in the Ted Stevens case, senator from Alaska, he was threatened by these lawyers. He was told to recite, i.e., this is your story. This is what you're going to say under oath. It was all lies. Suborned by the prosecution, led by people like Andrew Weissman, part of the Enron task force and part of Mueller's merry band of investigators. So the purpose of the friend of court brief is to um, provide a forum for a bunch of Watergate era lawyers to write how Flynn is guilty. This is a travesty of justice. It's not going to change anything. Uh, let me see. I'm looking. I uh, just dropped my glasses on the floor here. So let me look. Uh, I'm looking for Andy McCarthy. Could somebody tell me what number Andy McCarthy is here? And the audio sound bites. T- t- number 11. Yeah, this is it. He was on Fox this morning. And it was Ed Henry who said, uh, You say this is a bizarre order, Andy. What is really going on here? There's a bunch of lawyers who are actually more ancient than I am who call themselves the Watergate prosecutors, and they figure the Rolling Stones still go on tour, so why shouldn't they get the band back together? And they've been doing that since Trump came to office trying to get him impeached. Judge Sullivan, who has been so unhinged on this case that he originally characterized it as a treason case, decided this was just a peachy idea, so now he's inviting basically an anti-Trump group therapy session. It will make no difference in the end, but it'll just drag the process out. Well, who's to, you know, it won't make a difference in the, yeah, Flynn is not going to be tried. He's not going to be prosecuted. But by the time this is all over, by the time the media is finished promoting and amplifying these friend-of-the-court briefs, what's going to happen is that a certain percentage of the American people are going to think Flynn did it, and he got away with it because Donald Trump is corrupting the DOJ. That's what this is about. We can sit here and say, oh, wring our hands there, how horrible this is. And these guys just missed the line. It's far more devious than this. Uh, let's see. There's a soundbite number 10. This is another former prosecutor. Brett Tolman is his name. And he was on Fox and Friends today with Brian Kilmeade. Uh, Tolman is, uh, let's see, where is, yeah, former U.S. attorney. I don't know when he served, but the question, Judge Sullivan, 72 years old, delaying his decision on whether to drop charges against, he's got no choice. Look, what if the judge doesn't drop the charges? What happens if the DOJ has to try the case if they're not going to try the case? The judge can't do anything. The judge cannot bring charges himself and act as the prosecution. That's the DOJ. They have announced they're not going to proceed here. That's what this is really all about. They're trying to find a way to go on with this thing so they can get to the end of it with Flynn guilty. And that's what these friend-of-the-court briefs ultimate objectives are or is. So anyway, the question uh, to Brett Tolman... He's now allowing outside groups to weigh in with these friend-of-the-court briefs. What's your take on the judge's move? I thought I've seen everything in 20-plus years in the federal criminal justice system, but this is a first. This is an outrageous decision by a judge who's now placed himself into that awful category of an activist 
who's willing to set aside rules, set aside ethics, set aside precedent, and just go in a direction because he is politically motivated to do so. Sidney Powell is correct that this court is now going against its own rulings, which is sacrosanct in the judiciary, that you follow your rulings so that there's consistency in cases. All this is out the window. What's sacrosanct? What what precedent? This is you know what what's happened, the criminal justice system is all out the window as far as I'm concerned. Uh, with with the, the this so called Russia collusion case happening in the first place, this is a bastardization of American justice. It's a bastardization of the FBI. It has totally torn down the credibility of both the DOJ and the FBI, at least the people who were in leadership positions in both. And so, it's not a surprise that you have a corrupt judge. It's not a surprise because, folks. The one thing I don't care, it hasn't changed. In the last three years, three and a half, it hasn't changed. The hatred for Donald J. Trump is as strong and intense as ever, and it is flavoring and directing and influencing what everybody in that town is saying and doing about virtually everything they're saying and doing. Be it the DOJ, be it the FBI, be it various other elements of the administrative state, the avowed objective, stated or unstated, is to get rid of Donald Trump. And so since again, Barr has come along in the DOJ and they're dropping the case because they don't have one. Flynn was set up. The deep state has decided... With a judge complicit, that they're going to act like there is an active case. They're going to be allowed to pontificate on it, and by the time they finish, by the time the media promotes it all, most people will think that Flynn got away with serious treason-related crimes. That is the uh, objective. There's also a little companion story here. You've heard that Richard Grinnell who is the acting director of national intelligence and the current ambassador to Germany, serving in both posts. You have heard that he has declassified a bunch of documents that will lead to the unmasking of what we're told is thousands of Obama administration people. And the story, the story here at PJ Media, some... Obama officials ought to be mighty worried about what Richard Grinnell just did. I don't think anybody in the Obama administration is worried about a damn thing. I don't think Obama's worried. I don't think Michelle Obama is worried. I don't think Susan Rice. I don't think Brennan. I don't think any of these people are worried. They should be. It should be much more than worried. But I don't think they are. You know what unmasking is? Unmasking is, say, you're, you're, you're surveilling targets. The DOJ, the FBI, National Security Agency, whatever, CIA. In this case, the Russian ambassador who goes to lunch all the time, Sergei Kislyak. He's under surveillance. He knows it. Everybody knows it. Not just him. A bunch of people in the Russian embassy. We have them under surveillance. Their phone calls are monitored and so forth and so on. Now, in the process of Kislyak going about his day... He's going to be talking to lots of Americans. 
He could be talking to lots of Americans in the Obama administration, the Trump transition team. And the law says that you cannot reveal the names of Americans who are caught up in these surveillance operations when they're not the targets of anything. So if Kislyak is the target and he takes a phone call from Flynn, it is against the law to release and tell anybody to unmask Flynn to say that Kislyak was saying X, Y, and Z to Michael Flynn, Obama's named national security. Well, somebody did unmask Flynn. Somebody unmasked a whole lot of people against the law. And so this is what Grinnell is said to have in his possession, the names of the people who unmasked various Americans. It's a felony. It's a very, it's a, it's a huge crime because it has the ability to ruin people. They may not be doing anything wrong. They're just talking in the normal course of their jobs to the Russian ambassador. But all you got to do is unmask Flynn. If you already got an operation to destroy Flynn, then somebody in the Obama administration unmasks him, say, yeah, he's talking about sanctions to the Russian ambassador in violation of Obama's. That's all it would take. And that's exactly what happened. So the story, there's a lot of people ought to be really worried about what Grinnell just did. Grinnell just declassified the documents to tell us who the Obama administration unmasked. We know who it is. We know it's Susan Rice. We know that it's Samantha Power. We know all of We know who was doing this. And we know that Obama was up to it in his eyeballs. What's new today... As of last night, actually, John Brennan actually had intel saying that Russia wanted Hillary Clinton to win the White House because she was a known quantity. Plus, she was a dupe. And he knows this. And yet, he, and he's testifying on television every night that they want Trump to win. And that Trump is colluding and that Trump is an agent. Trump is being is a managed asset by Putin. Knowing not only is that not true, knowing as well now that the Russians were hoping to have Hillary Clinton elected. Let me take a break here. At this is just scratching the surface. Some of the stuff happening in the in the area of the coronavirus and so forth, just stunning and shocking what they're doing in California, particularly Los Angeles County. Folks, I've made a little discovery here. I have to tell you about. It's it's a it's a coffee mug. It's a coffee mug that keeps whatever you put in it at the right temperature. You set you select the temperature you want your coffee or your hot chocolate your tea, whatever you want it to be, and it keeps it at that temperature. Uh, it's it's called Ember E M B E R, and I I ran into one of these. I saw somebody was boxing one up to give somebody for Christmas. So what is that? Oh, it's really great. It's a mug. You plug it in and it heats up and it keeps whatever you're drinking hot. doesn't cool off. Oh, cool. I looked into it. Got one. And it, it exactly what it is. The saucer is the charger. You plug the saucer in and, and then you put the mug on top of the saucer and that's how it charges. And it will work off the charger for an hour or hour 15 minutes. 
I mean, I always put it back on the charger, just on the saucer for the heck of it. But if you have to carry it away, it'll still work. And you set the temperature to be whatever you want it to be. Uh, it's a Bluetooth device. So you pair it with your phone with with Bluetooth. And that's what makes it uh, compatible with, with Bluetooth technology. The thing is fascinating. Uh, it's It's... You ever had a coffee pot that that stays on the burner all day long, and after a while, the coffee tastes burnt and so hot? Uh, This does not do that to the coffee. This You can vary the temperature and cool it during the process so that the coffee always tastes exactly like you poured it out of the pot, even if it's been in that cup for 45 minutes or a half hour or on the saucer, on the charger. It is amazing. And I love sharing things with people, my passions and so forth. Um, and they've got great customer service as well. So I wanted to mention this Ember, E-M-B-E-R is the name of this thing. No, 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 it's not complicated. Here, let me show you. If you're watching on the dental cam, this is it. This is, this is the 14 ounce. There's a, I think a 10 ounce size. I don't know. This is the 14 ounce size of the mug. You simply put it on a charge. It's a Bluetooth device and the app that controls it is on the phone. Ember, E-M-B-E-R. So I've, they've got a default preset bunch of temperatures for coffee, for tea, for hot chocolate. But you can change them. Like, I think the coffee setting is too hot. So they've got it like 150 degrees. I've changed it to 131. It keeps it 131 degrees for as long as I don't touch the coffee. It's amazing. It never cools off. You never have to throw it out and, and replenish the cup from the, uh, from the coffee jug or whatever, coffee pot. And the, the saucer plugs in. It's the charger that keeps the mug going when it's not attached to the charger. I just think it's a brilliant concept. And you know me. I run across these kinds of things that I think are cool, and I share them with you. And it would, um, as much people, as, as much, I don't know about you and drinking coffee or, or tea or whatever, but one of the most irritating things is when it gets cold. You set it aside. You get busy. Uh, and before you know it, you're drinking room temperature coffee. You'd yuck! You know, pour it out and make a new. You don't ever have to do that with this. Ember is what it's called. Now, yesterday we had news: CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike. They were the ones hired by the DNC to examine the server that the Russians supposedly hacked. The Russians hacked the DNC server. Said the story. And that was the foundational building block for the Russians meddling in the election. And the guy that the Democrats hired to examine the hacked server, CrowdStrike, it turns out it testified under oath that they couldn't tell who had hacked it. In fact, they couldn't even assure anybody that it, there had been an external attack on the network, meaning it might have been an inside job. But they couldn't prove the Russians did it. Yet for three years, the media and the Democrats are all perpetrating and broadcasting and amplifying the lie that the Russians hacked their server. They never turned it over to the Democrat National or turned it over to the FBI. The FBI never got a chance to examine it. And the FBI didn't care. Imagine that. The FBI comes knocking on your door. We have a search warrant. We want to see your service. Sorry, we don't want you to get it. We've given it to a private sector firm. FBI says, oh, okay, and leaves. That would never happen to you or me, but it happened 
with Debbie Blabbermouth Schultz in the DNC. One lie after another, compounded over and over again. Now we have another expose. It happened last night, the Fox News Channel, Tucker Carlson tonight, uh, with a report from Ed Henry about intelligence that may soon be declassified that shows that Obama's director of the CIA, John Brennan, had intel that the Russians wanted Hillary to win the 2016 presidential election, not Donald Trump. It turns out Obama's CIA chief, John Brennan, also had intel saying actually Russia wanted Hillary Clinton to win because she was a known quantity. She had been secretary of state and Vladimir Putin's team thought she was more malleable while candidate Donald Trump was unpredictable. Brennan suppressed some of the intel that suggested Russia wanted Clinton to win. That information is one of the four or five other batches of intel that Grinnell is declassifying. That basically John Brennan, as CIA chief, held back. So there was some intel saying Putin wants Trump to win. There's other intel that may have been more serious, suggesting that Russia wanted Hillary Clinton to win. Rather than balancing all that out in the assessment, they put out there in that assessment and set the narrative that Russia wanted Trump to win. This could be a bombshell. Not could be, it is. It's like every other part of this. It is a bombshell. They lied. They knowingly lied. They set Trump up. They set Flynn up. They manufactured a phony case. Have we forgotten about the UK aspect of this? After after everything we've learned, let's not forget what they were doing there. They were trying to entrap people like George Papadopoulos. They were setting up with informants like Stefan Halper. I mean, they had a multiple continent operation underway to try to plant operatives in the Trump campaign who would then collude with Russia. They were doing everything they could to create this crime, to make this crime happen because Trump nor any of his people were colluding with Russia at all. And now we find out that the ringleader of this operation, John Brennan, actually knew all this time, despite what he was saying publicly, that the Russians wanted Hillary Clinton to win. Here, let's go back to May 23rd, 2017. This during a House Intelligence Committee hearing. And this winter, Republicans ran the committee before the 2018 midterms. Trey Gowdy is talking with Brennan here. Do you know if the Bureau ever relied on the Steele dossier as part of any court filings? Applications, petitions, pleadings? I have no awareness. Did the CIA rely on it? No. Why not? Because we we didn't. We, it wasn't part of the corpus of intelligence uh, information that we had. It was not in any way used as a basis for the intelligence community assessment that was done. Uh, it, was, it was not. I, folks, uh, every word he says there is a lie. The Steele dossier is the only thing they had. The Steele dossier was what they relied on for the FISA warrants, to spy on Carter Page and everybody else. The Steele dossier is what they showed Trump. January 6, 2017, the P-tape story. They wanted that in the news. The Steele dossier is all they ever had. And here's Brennan lying to Trey Gowdy about its relevance, about its usage. It wasn't part of the corpus of intelligence information. It was the only thing that they had. Here is now Britt Hume. 
from inside the Beltway last night on Fox News, putting it all into perspective for It us. was the worst journalistic fiasco of my now more than 50-some years in journalism. Look at what uh, the editor of the New York Times said about it. He said he had uh, set up his whole newsroom, his whole journalistic operation, was to cover that story. And it ended up going nowhere. It was a terrible journalistic misjudgment. And it was rooted in their view of Donald Trump that he was such a terrible person that it had to be true. And it's yeah. still going on. And I think the coverage of the coronavirus epidemic has reflected this. Whoa, There's a whoa. desire to see this thing. The shutdown should continue endlessly. And anything that points in that direction, they love. And anything that doesn't, they don't. Well, you know, Brit Hume has finally run into the truth here, folks. He's now seeing... Inside the Beltway journalism for what it has always been. And now he even sees the connection to the way the coronavirus story is being treated, the way it's being covered, and the way it is being used by anti-Trump people to achieve anti-Trump objectives. And that, again, is why I am spending so much time trying to help people understand what went on with this entire Trump-Russia collusion fiasco crime of a story. Because it is still happening, folks. It is still in operation. It may not be James Comey pulling the levers. It may not be Brennan or Clapper. But it doesn't matter. The people are interchangeable. The objective remains the same. The objective, destroy and ruin and get rid of Donald Trump. And it may be as difficult as anything you've had to try to understand. They're willing to shut down and destroy elements of the United States economy to do it. Oh, come on, Rush. That's going a little bit too far. How, what do you mean going too far? You tell me that that's not happening right now? You want to try to tell me they're not summarily in these blue states doing whatever necessary to destroy small business? The stories are starting to creep out now about the effect on small business and how we may never recover. Many of them may never recover from this. And they're talking to people whose lives are not threatened by this. Government officials in these states. Well, it's a sad thing, true, but... We got to get this virus nailed down. We got, they don't give a rat's rear end what's happening to people. And these are the compassionate leftists and liberals who have all of this love and concern for people. Well, make no mistake, the objective to get Donald Trump remains at the top of a list of all actions that are being undertaken by the Democrat Party, the American left, in virtually any issue that comes. Pelosi's new spend-everything-we've-got bill. Her attempt to essentially buy every American voter she can on the concept of forget working ever again. Stay home. We'll take care of you. Everything's going to be fine. Don't need to worry about a thing. We've got it. Your Democrat Party, you don't have to worry about your job because you're always going to get a universal basic income from us. Anyway, let me take a brief time out. We'll come back and continue on this, the fastest three hours in media right after this. We're going to get to the phones here in just a second. Anthony Fauci. Can somebody explain something to me? Why is Anthony Fauci the only medical and health official anybody ever consults? 
Why wasn't there a panel of doctors the Senate committee talked to yesterday? There's all kinds of different doctors out there. There's all kinds of different health experts. And they've all got their own theories of what's going on here and how to deal with it. What's the best course of action? There's all kinds of thinking about this out there. Why is Anthony Fauci the only health official and doctor that's consulted? Well, Rush, he wasn't. They had Redfield from the city. That's my point. They bring in all the government people. CDC, FEMA, Homeland Security, bring all the same people we've been hearing from since this whole thing began, and none of them are saying a damn thing different from the first day they started talking to us. There have to be all kinds of health officials and doctors who have differing opinions, who may have a more upbeat take on it, who may have a more optimistic outlook. Where are they? Why are they not even consulted? Some of them are very, very well-endowed educationally, work at some of the finest universities. Some of them work at the finest laboratories. They'd be more than willing to be consulted, I'm certain. Where are they? Why is it only this small little static group? Now, one of the things happened just as a kerfuffle, Dr. Fauci said that, well, we probably may not be able to start school in the fall because of the virus and the need for mitigation and social distancing and locking down and shutting down and so forth. A lot of people say, holy hell, no school in September? So Lamar Alexander asked him about it. And he did seem to backtrack, but not really. Can I tell you what the practical result of what Fauci saying that is. His opposition, and make no mistake about it, Fauci is opposed to opening schools. And it's only the safest group of people in the country that go to schools. Young people are the least likely to get this. But when Fauci makes public his opposition to opening schools, my friends, it makes it practically impossible to reopen the country. What do you mean by that? That's a little bit extreme. No, wait, stop and think a minute. If you have the only health expert and doctor that we consult, and he's out there saying no sports, every time there's good news, every time... You can count on there being cold water poured on it by Dr. Fauci or somebody in his group within 10 hours of that good story. But if you are not going to permit the schools to reopen, then you can't allow parents to go back to work, can you? If the kids are going to stay home, if the kids are going to be forced to stay home, how in hell can the parents go back to work? And if the parents can't go back to work, then that's not reopening the country. Now, I realize not every adult has kids in school, but a hell of a lot do. And one of the things that makes two incomes possible is the kids getting out of house every day to go to school. And you close the schools and you do not allow them to reopen. 
you're pretty much guaranteeing parents have to stay home. Meaning what? They don't get up and go out and leave the house and go to work. Meaning, how the hell can you reopen the country? That's the practical reaction and application of what Fauci is. Let me grab a quick call. Jason, Wisconsin, Dells, Wisconsin. Hello, sir. Great to have you on the program. Rush, mega dittos, mega prayers. Thank, thank this, you, sir. This is bucket list, which makes what I'm about to say seem even more baffling, but I have to know what's going on. And I compared you to Snurdly, and he said I was ludicrous, but I compared you to Comey when I called in, and I may explain why. Comey comes out, comes to the podium, he lays out everything we know Hillary Clinton did, and then said nothing's going to happen to her. Well, I listen to you three hours a day, and I listen for hope. I listen for clarity. And I hear you every day, three hours a day, laying out everything everybody's done wrong, and then a caller calls in and says, well, when are we going to get justice? And you say, well, nothing's going to happen to Barack Obama. Nothing's going to happen to Hillary Clinton. So what the hell are we doing this for? What's the point? I mean, if nothing's going to happen, you can't kill the snake without cutting off the head. Well, the head of this snake is Comey. It's Obama. It's Clinton. And if nothing's ever going to I didn't to happen, say nothing is not going to happen to Comey. I didn't What about Clinton and Obama? Nothing's going to happen to Clinton or Obama. So Obama's an ex-president. Nothing ever happens to them. So we're setting the precedent that this is okay. We're going to do this again. They know if nothing's going to happen to them, why not? Uh, well, there, there may be that reaction. I, you're, you're, look, I understand your peak and, and your anger here. I'm just telling you, look, they even let Nixon go after they got him to resign. They gave him the airplane to get out of here. He went to San Clemente. He left. They didn't prosecute him. And if there's anybody they wanted to put in jail, it was Nixon. It just doesn't happen to ex-presidents unless they commit murder. And this, we don't know, has ever happened. It's just, it's something that's done to protect the office of the presidency. And particularly to give presidents wide latitude when they're conducting their affairs of state while they are president. Now, but, but there's a reason, nevertheless, for exposing it. And I'll... I'll 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 explain it when the next hour begins because I'm out of time right now. Don't go away. Fastest three hours in media. The first one's already in the can. No, I'm not walking away from the guy's complaint. But come on, you can't blame me if nothing happens to these people. I'm not in charge of... if If it were up to me, they'd all be charged and in the process of being prosecuted right now. Done and done. But I'm not in charge of it, folks. Hey, greetings to you, music lovers, thrill-seekers, conversationalists all across the fruited plain. Welcome back. Great to have you, Rush Limbaugh, behind the Golden EIB microphone. The telephone number is 800-282-2882. And the email address, lrushbow at eibnet.us. So the last caller's all ticked off because I say nothing's going to happen to Obama. I'm just telling you what I think. We don't go after ex-presidents in this country. We never do. If we ever did, no president would ever be able to govern. Everything he did would be subject to the opposition party trying to shut him down and stop him at every turn, criminalize everything, which is exactly what we've seen with Trump. This is how every president would be if we ever started going after them ex post facto as criminals. It isn't going to happen. Now, I don't mean to be throwing cold water on everybody, but Obama is not going to be pursued as a criminal. 
It's not to say that James Comey might not be or that McCabe and Struck, Struck, Smirk and Page and all the underlings. But nothing is going to happen to Obama. In fact, what is happening to Trump right now is it's unprecedented in its scope. It's unprecedented in its intensity. And in fact, a good way to characterize this is Trump has been pursued from the moment he won the election as a criminal. He's been pursued as somebody who is unqualified, somebody who has cheated, cheated and stolen, colluded with Russia. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than the allegations they threw out about Trump. They're all wrong. They're all made up. They're all lies. It's a gigantic coup. It's made up of people who simply can't stomach the fact that they lost to the guy. And you're seeing what happens to a presidency when the assumption is that the president who has been elected duly is a criminal. In this case, they wouldn't even acknowledge that. They chalked Trump's election up to fraud. They chalked it up to the Russians meddling. And you see what the outcome is. And this is what every presidency would be if we were ever going to start prosecuting them after they leave office. Because I'll guarantee you that most of the prosecutions would be the result of trying to criminalize policy. This is the epitome. This, this is that, that's happening to Trump, what has happened, what's ongoing, what's happening to Trump and his supporters, what's happening to Trump and his family, is a great illustration well, of many things, actually. But it is all happening under the rubric that they wanted you to believe that you elected a punk criminal, that you elected a traitor. And they were attempting to get you to go along with throwing him out of office. It's, as I say, I, I don't have the vocabulary to adequately describe my rage and anger about this and my fear over what this has done to the country. And it continues to do it because the same thinking and the same energy and the same motivation is now being used to thwart any attempt to have Trump look good in the coronavirus. They they simply cannot permit it, folks. They cannot permit Donald Trump to look good. They cannot permit him successes. They cannot, particularly in the coronavirus story, they've got, as far as they see this, Right here in the palms of their hands, they have their dream, socialism. It's right there. It's been handed to them. All they have to do is play this virus the right way. Try to convince as many people as possible by shutting down the economy that you don't need an economy. You don't need to have to a job. You don't need to have to get up and worry about going to a job. The government will take care of you. The government will give you this. In terms of cash, then they'll pay for your health care. And they'll provide for your kids' education, although what's the need for an education since you're never going to need a job? Unemployment won't be any big deal because they're going to take care of it. It's it's just, it's right that, and, and for that dream to happen, Trump has to fail. Every objective Trump has to save people, to save the country, to save the economy from coronavirus has to fail. Same token, Trump could not be seen during his presidency to succeed in dealing with the Chinese, the North Koreans. He could not be seen as succeeding in revitalizing the economy, which he did in three 
years, but now it's gone, isn't it? It took six weeks of shutting down the country to destroy three years of unprecedented and unparalleled economic growth. Labor market participation. Labor force participation. Wages rising. Stock market through the roof. Look at six weeks is all it took them. And what's the first thing they did? They shut down the schools. The safest demographic, statistically, health-wise, from getting this virus, they shut down the schools. That meant parents had to stay home. Easiest way to shut down the economy is make sure the parents can't go to work. Now here comes Dr. Fauci suggesting that we may not be able to open the schools in the fall. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, I didn't really mean that. Maybe we can. No, I guess we can't. Now, the reason I talk about what these people are doing is not because I think Obama is going to be tried criminally. I would love for all the I would folks. I would love for Clapper and Brennan and all these people to get the Manafort, Roger Stone treatment. If anybody deserves it, they do. But I'm not in charge of it. I don't have any influence whatsoever over how the Department of Justice decides who they're going to charge and for what. My, my, my purpose in exposing this is not a mystery. It has been one of the primary objectives of mine since this program began. I believe that this is a representative republic, and I believe the people get what they want by virtue of elections. My purpose is to inform as many people as possible about the truth of Democrats, the truth of liberalism, the destructiveness of it, the corruption of it, the fact that the worst thing you can do in this country is vote for a Democrat. If you have any self-respect as a human being who believes in self-reliance, rugged individualism, taking care of your faith, if you believe in the founding principles of this country, and if you believe in using them to your best ability to make the most of yourself, you cannot vote for Democrats because all you're doing is putting obstacles in your way. And you're putting people in your way who do not want you to succeed at that. The Democrat Party does not need or want self-reliant, rugged individuals. You pose a problem to them if that's who you are. They need a permanent class of people who can't take care of themselves and who don't want to take care of themselves. And that's why they love illegal immigration to people who can't even speak the language. My purpose here is rooted in my love and respect for the American people. And the fact that I think elections have consequences and matter. I'm not in charge of the DOJ, so I have nothing to say about whether any of these people face charges. And I don't mean to be dispiriting you by telling you that I don't think Obama's ever going to, but I know he won't. There isn't a soul. There's nobody that would ever do it. Race alone will prevent it from happening, folks. But if people could be educated and informed 
and to learn how the Obamas of the world are the exact opposite of the way they're portrayed? That they're not the smartest, they're not the most caring, they're not the most brilliant, they're not the most intellectual, that in fact they pose a threat and a danger, and that's exactly what they've done, it's exactly what they have done, and we can see it, and it can be pointed out. I don't have any control over how anybody behaves in this country. And I don't want that kind of control either. But I love having my shot every day, my opportunity every day at the hearts and minds of the American people, those who listen to this program. It may sound boring to you, but it's about informing and educating and inspiring In some cases, waking up people. It's about providing people with an enjoyable, informative, entertaining, can't get it anywhere else three hours. There's a lot goes into why I do what I do and how. But I don't have the power to bring criminal charges. Plus, I see what's going on. I see all these Republicans... Not doing diddly squat. Do you know how ticked off I was last Friday? When we finally learned the transcripts of the Schiff hearings are released. Clapper, Brennan, all of these people have been on TV every day for two years lying. About Trump colluding with Russia. Trump's a traitor. Trump's a Russian asset. Putin knows how to run Trump, his number one asset. That's from Brennan. I find out these people are all testifying, every damn one of them. That every Republican on the committee heard them say over and over again, I don't have any evidence of any collusion. I've never seen it. I don't have any empirical evidence. Trump talked to the Russians. I don't know anything about it. Everybody in the Obama administration was called to testify. Everybody. Even these, these jackals that participated in the attempted impeachment, even they said they had never seen any collusion with the Russians. Even they said the phone call didn't really show that Trump had done anything. It was all manufactured, and every Republican in that committee room knew it for two years and didn't say jack to us about it. They let these people go on TV every day and every night, lie through their teeth about this. And what did they do? They were cementing in the minds and hearts of the American people who didn't know any better that Trump was a Russian collusion artist. Well, but Rush, they couldn't. I mean, they would, that would have required them to leak uh, testimony that's like grand jury tells you can't leak. You think the Democrats would have sat there and stood mute? There's all kinds of way to get that out without running to the camera yourself. How many times have you heard, take a name, a Republican committee chairman, House or Senate, promise after we learn of an outrage are going to be investigations, and they never happen? You know why I don't think there's ever going to be FISA reform? Here's another thing you're going to get mad at me over this. The FISA court has just been rendered an absolute joke. The FISA court, the judges, were either duped, which doesn't say much about them, or they went along conspiratorially and happily 
with the targeting of a totally innocent man, Carter Page. And granted warrants to spy on him and then renewed those warrants three different times. He was never charged with anything because he didn't do anything. Like nobody did anything because there never was a case. There never was Trump-Russia collusion and these judges at the FISA court nevertheless relied on the Steele dossier. It's all the FBI had to get these warrants and to get them renewed. What does it say about the judges in that court? How easily are they duped or how complicit are they? I don't know. But where is the investigation into it? There isn't one. You know why? I mean, I don't know why, but I'll tell you what I think. I think everybody in that town... wants to be able to have that kind of power to go to a secret court and to get warrants to spy on people. That town's all about power. Have you ever known power to take power away from itself? Just doesn't you think the FISA court is going to strip itself of power? You think the people that appear before the FISA court, the lawyers, the judges, you think they're going to happily disempower themselves over this? No way. But don't get mad at me for saying that. I'm just telling you what's happened. We've known for two years now how this process was bastardized. There's not an investigation. The best we've got is William Barr and Durham, and they are loaded for bear, and there's a grand jury. But even there, I don't know if they're going to be indictments. I heard my buddy Andy McCarthy on TV, so he was asked about this. Will there be indictments or will some people pay a price? And he said, well, you know, there are a lot of people already have paid a price. They've been fired. They've lost their jobs. They've been transferred. He said, after this much time goes by, I don't know that there's going to be an accounting like you're asked. Meaning, no, I don't think anybody's going to be charged. And he's a former prosecutor in the Southern District of New York, U.S. Attorney's Office. And he was saying, nah, there's a bunch of people, you're wrong to think there hasn't been an accountability. Struck, stroke, smirk, fired. Well, McCabe is still on CNN. McCabe is still being paid to lie through his teeth. Nothing's happened to Clapper. Nothing's happened to Brennan. And I damn well think they ought to get the Manafort treatment, the Roger Stone treatment. I think... Jack-booted thugs ought to wake them up at 6 o'clock in the morning with search warrants. They ought to be sent to jail like Manafort was for things that had nothing to do with any of this because nobody did anything in respect to Trump-Russia collusion because there was none. And the very people who brought the case, tried to make the case, are the ones who've testified there was never any evidence for it. But they damn well do need to be exposed, and the vast majority of them are Obama acolyte Democrats. Sorry, folks, that's that's uh, not the best I can do, but it's one of the things that I can do here.
It's all rooted in the fact that you have a brain and you have the ability to understand and you have the ability to not get swept up in this stuff. And you can inform others and eventually we can get rid of these people by not electing them so that they don't get to appoint their phonies and their balonies into these other offices in the deep state. I got to go. Quick time out. Back after this. Don't go away. Okay, let's go back to the let's beat up rush portion of the program today. Back to the phones. This is Henry in Manhattan. Henry, great to have you here. Hello. Yes, good afternoon, Mr. Limbaugh. Uh, God bless for you and all that you do. Thank you, sir. I believe, okay, I believe that uh, President Trump should not send money to sanctuary states whose reprobates threaten not to open schools. I mean, it's very important for the education of children, and therefore maybe he could have an administrator send money with them to each uh, state to make sure that the that the schools get the money. One other point, during the previous administration, the country was guilty of idolatry, with no mention of the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Uh, what, what was that? One other point, the previous administration, the country was guilty of idolatry. Oh, you mean making Obama a god. Yes, with no mention of the first commandment, thou shalt not have other gods No, 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 no. Obama made himself the god. And people went along with it. Never forget this. It was Obama who published photos of himself haloed in light. It was Obama who let school children sing, We love Obama. Obama is our leader. We love Obama. You know, he had to face all that garbage. Um, and then he had the God reverb echo whenever he spoke in public. <clears throat> As to your first point about Trump should not send money to sanctuary states. I mean, that's something that should have started years ago. Uh, you get a state like Wisconsin. Wisconsin, they border Illinois. Illinois, totally fiscally irresponsible. Wisconsin's been a much, much better fiscally responsible. Scott Walker is the governor for the time that he was. And a number of these red states are just fit to be tied. They've balanced their budgets. They have cut taxes. They've grown their economies. These blue state governors have just been irresponsible, spending their states absolute oblivion. oblivion. And now these blue states are, I think, perpetuating their economic crash so as to get a bailout and wipe out all of their debts, unfunded pension liabilities. And I think they should be told to file bankruptcy and pound sand. Welcome back. Uh, Rush Limbaugh and half my brain tied behind my back as always to make it fair. Now, let's let's go through some coronavirus news here. CNBC reporting that uh, Dr. Fauci told Congress there's no guarantee that a vaccine is actually going to be effective. So despite constantly saying that we need to wait for a vaccine... That we can't get back to normal until we get a vaccine. That we can't do sports, that we can't open schools, that we can't do whatever the hell else Dr. Fauci is in charge of permitting. We can't do it until we get a vaccine. And then he tells the senators yesterday that even if we get a vaccine, there's no guarantee it's going to work. Now, would somebody explain to me why? This is the only person we hear from on this. As I said mere moments ago, there have to be countless other genuine experts in the health field, in the medical field, 
who have their own thinking on the virus and who have their own thoughts on what we're doing to deal with it and what the future may look like and how we could do this or that, why do we not hear from them? Why did the Senate not talk to any of them? Why just the same people who've been saying the same stuff ever since the coronavirus task force at the White House was put together? I mean, it is nothing but one downer after another. Can't do this, you can't do that, unless you do this and unless you do that. But even if you do do that, we can't guarantee that you're not going to die. Sports, no. We can't do sports. We can't open up sports. We can't open up the schools till we have a vaccine. And even if we get a vaccine, there's no guarantee the vaccine's going to work. We don't need this. Look, folks, everybody can be pessimistic on their own. We don't need any help. We as Americans are fully capable of providing pessimism. We don't need that from our leaders. We need some counter-thinking. We need some alternative thinking. We need some thinking from some people who think that this isn't as bad as we've been told, and it's going to get better, and it can, because you know what? That's the bottom line. It will. It always does. Let me see what's the next one. Oh, yeah. Try this. California State University system to cancel classes for the fall semester. This means the California State University system is shutting down through December. Well, they'll they'll do telelearning, yeah, but I mean they're closing the campi. The chancellor of the California State University system announced yesterday that the schools will not open in the fall. In fact, the chancellor Timothy White said Research has not indicated that universities will be safe by the fall semester, and a vaccine's not expected until early next year at the early... And the vaccine may not work, as Dr. Fauci said that. And there may never be a vaccine. And so far, no vaccine for the coronavirus-like disease has ever been found, including SARS and the common cold. So does that mean that California state universities might never reopen? Well, yeah, if you listen to these people, it's exactly what the hell it freaking means. Now, here's something else they're doing out in California. The University of California system, this is different than the Cal State University system. We're talking about um, uh, Berkeley, USC. The university system is not the same thing as a Cal State University system. And the University of California president is Janet Napolitano. And you know what she's doing? She is urging a suspension of admission testing requirements until 2024. In other words, get rid of the SAT, get rid of the ACT. Get rid of the uh, ABDMY, get whatever, get rid of it. They have wanted to get rid of these admission tests for I don't know how long because they think they were all written by white men to exclude everybody but white men. So now they want to get rid of the SAT, the ACT, so they can let any dread anywhere from the world in.
under the rubric of diversity and fairness. In recent weeks, many public and private colleges have joined a movement to halt or to end testing requirements. Some were spurred by the education crisis created by the coronavirus pandemic. Others said that test scores were not as useful as grades and transcripts in rating applicants. Yeah, because, you know, some of these applicants, they don't test well. They don't do good. But we want them in our system anyway. So we're going to get rid of all of the things that they don't look good in so that we can admit them. Last month, citing the pandemic, the University of California suspended its requirements for an ACT or a SAT score. Napolitano, in a memo to the Board of Regents made public Monday, she said she wants to go further. By 2025, Napolitano's memo said any use of the ACT, SAT, would be eliminated for California students, and a new University of California-based test would be required. I'll guarantee you what this is about. This is no different than wanting to get rid of the Constitution, get rid of anything in this country that can be traced back to a so-called white, racist majority founding it as unjust, unfair, racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe. In addition to the University of California system and the the Cal State system shutting down until December, Los Angeles County has extended its stay-at-home order for the next three months. They've just wiped out the summer in Los Angeles County. They just wiped out the summer. Stay-at-home orders. Do you know how many businesses they have just sentenced to death? you know how many other institutions they have just sentenced to death? By issuing a stay-at-home order, extending it for the next three months. That'd be June, July, and August. That'd be through the beginning of September. It'll extend it again. Now, let me, you sports fans, let's look at one of the practical potential results of this. They're building a new stadium in L.A. County for the Rams and the Chargers to play. It's called SoFi Stadium. Construction has kind of gone up and down, in and out, because there have been some construction workers that tested positive for the virus. It's now not certain that the stadium will be ready to go for the opening of the NFL season. The original act that was going to inaugurate this new stadium was a Taylor Swift concert. That has been canceled. Oh, have you heard the sad news? Taylor Smith, because of the virus and climate change, has sold one of her two private jets. Had you heard that? Oh, it's such a tragedy. It's a sacrifice. It's a tragedy. It's just you hate you hate seeing that kind of hardship happen to people. Just hate it. Anyway, the NFL preseason starts in August. There's no way if they were going to try to play any preseason games, Rams or Chargers, SoFi Stadium, that's done. Now let's talk the regular season. Let's say the NFL opens up. 
And they fully intend to, folks. And let's say that L.A. County continues its stay-at-home extension. They're going to have to move two Los Angeles teams. The Rams and the Chargers are going to have to find other places to play. And, in fact, the league is already looking into it. They found Las Vegas might be an alternative place for both of those teams to play. Then they got to relocate the foreigners if, if California... Uh, I don't know what the governor's doing is a little bit different than the California, the Los Angeles people, but good grief, extending the stay at home order all the way through September in LA County. Now, here's a story from the millennial left wing news site called Axios. Coronavirus cases are not surging in high risk states. Wait, what? The first stages of reopening have not produced a surge in coronavirus cases in most states. At least not yet, they write, uh, hopefully. The reopening process is still in its early stages, so don't feel so hot about it right now. A second wave of infection still could happen. Oh, we hope it does. It acts. They're dying out here. Georgia, Florida opened up. There is not this massive number of new cases. The death toll is not rising and it's not mounting and the drive-bys are distressed. Coronavirus cases are not surging in high-risk states. Florida's new cases actually declined. By 14% compared to the previous week, Georgia fell by 12% after reopening. Yeah, so some of the states, all of these experts, all of these skeptics were most worried about have not seen the rise in total cases that the experts feared. Florida's new cases have, again, declined by 14%. Georgia's are down by 12%. Nevada leads the pack, a 44% reduction. Several hard-hit states that embraced aggressive lockdowns, Michigan, New York, and New Jersey, saw reductions of at least 30%. But, of course, the bottom line, as they say here, none of this means that any state is in the clear. But it is an encouraging early sign. And we had to throw that in, but we wish we didn't have to, they write. So we've got all this doom and gloom yesterday at the Senate hearing. We have all this back padding. All of, yeah, I'm doing great. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're coming up. We're making great strides. But we can't open up. Nope, we can't open up. The vaccine may not even get a vaccine at work. So, no, can't go back to school, can't open the schools, meaning parents can't go back to work. L.A. extending by three months the stay-at-home order. And meanwhile, where they are opening up, the number of cases and deaths are actually beginning to fall. Back to the phones on the one and only Rush Limbaugh program in the EIB network to Austin, Texas. This is uh, Vicki, and it's great to have you here. Hi. Hi, Rush, and mega prayers to you. And my question is, 
Can you explain the bromance between Trump and Fauci? Because I, I don't understand why he promotes this guy so much. Like one of the press conferences, he said, I keep telling Tony he's got to run for office because he'd win. And why doesn't he have a panel of differing opinions? You've asked the question yourself. I heard you. But do you what you know this man? What do you think, Rush? <laughs> yeah, I know this man. You're holding back on us. Tell us the truth. Uh, OK, I mean, you have to have an opinion, right? And because does he not see this as being anything political? I know he's smart. Why is it? You know, I mean, is he listening to talking heads? It's not his instinct. He can't be sitting back watching the country die no, and no. not be thinking this is wrong. Uh, no, I, 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 I think it's a, it's a, it's a combination of things. I think that he felt he had to bend as far as he could without breaking. So that he could say that he listened to these people because they are – he can't change the way the media reports on him. He can't change their reputations. He can't change their perceived stature. And he probably wouldn't even want to try. So I think he felt like he was bending the bow as far as he could without breaking it to say he had listened to them, that he had tried to follow the science – that he was doing everything he could do, that they advocated to save lives. And I think I think he realizes now that he's got to let go of these people or we're not yeah. going to bounce back. I, I think he knows it. Uh, I think I, I, I hope he's got five months to get the country moving while this. I'm, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that the virus goes dormant in the summertime. I hear you're trying to get what do you what, what are you trying to say? I, I'm trying to say you were saying he's listening to them and they them is Dr. Fauci and and Dr. Burks. What about all those other many, many? Experts? I know I'm trying to explain to you why. I'm sorry, Rush. Go ahead. He's because their their reputations cannot be sullied. It would be a lose-lose if he came out and said, Fauci, you're a punk. You're a pretender. You're, God, you're, just, you're trying to destroy me. Screw you, Fauci. Get out of here. It would be over for Trump if he did that. That's what you want him to do, but he can't do it. I'll tell you, I think, I think Trump hopes for the best in everybody, and despite everything that's happened to him, I think that he hoped that all these people would actually put all of this partisanship aside and come together and unify for the purposes of saving the country. I don't think that he was initially suspicious that some of these people would actually be attempting to destroy the country in order to destroy him. Well, that's probably true. I think he gave them the benefit of the doubt, and I think he's awakened now. And let me tell you how you deal with Fauci. You praise him to the hilt, exactly like Trump is doing. You praise him to the hilt. You talk about how brilliant he is, and you say that we're so lucky to have Fauci. Oh, my God, Tony, you should run for office. And then privately you ignore every damn thing he says and implement your own policy. That's the only way you can do it. Now, don't repeat that, because then the policy to secret be let out of the bag. But that's how you deal with these people. Will President Trump do that? I think he already is. 
I got to go. I'm, I'll, I'll expand on this in just a second, but I'm out of time. Uh, seriously, got to be back here in just a second. Man, you people are all over me today. It's like I'm president. It's like I'm the guy that won't get rid of Fauci. It's like I'm the guy that won't prosecute Obama. It's like I'm the guy that won't do any of this stuff. You want to keep beating up on me? Have at it. It's great radio, and I'd be more than happy to try to explain my way out of it. We've got one hour to go, so line up. And we are back. And the fastest three hours in media resumes behind this. A golden EIB microphone, Rush Limbaugh, at your service, serving humanity simply by showing up. Okay, so the last caller wanted to know, why isn't Trump getting rid of Fauci? Why hasn't Fauci been thrown out on his ass? Why doesn't Trump get some people in there other than Fauci and listen to them? Why is always Fauci and Burks? These people are nothing but negative. They're doing nothing but telling us what can't be done. Why isn't Trump listening to anybody else? And I attempted to explain the answer and ran out of time. So let me try it now. This first thing I want to say, folks, you got to keep this between you and me. You can't tell anybody this because if you tell anybody this, the whole it's, it's, it's like a marketing plan. And you, you don't tell people what it is. You just execute it. So the, the, the way to deal and it, look, it's not with doc, just just Dr. Fauci. I mean, let, let's first examine what Trump has to deal with in dealing with Fauci. You can't find in that town right now, outside of Obama, anybody with a more perfect reputation, a more perfect legacy. There's nothing anybody can do to change that. Fauci got started, became known and became nationally known uh, when he was seen as the lone advocate for the gay community when they when the AIDS uh, outbreak hit in the 1980s, Ronald Reagan became enemy number one. AIDS became something that existed because Reagan made it possible. Reagan was responsible for AIDS, and you know why? Because Reagan didn't talk about it. And since Reagan didn't talk about it, it meant that Reagan didn't care. And if Reagan didn't care about AIDS, then Reagan didn't care about homosexuals. And into this stepped Dr. Fauci. And Dr. Fauci became the face of the federal government's effort to come up with either a vaccine, a cure, a fix, or alternatively a way to make sure that it was not seen as a behaviorally spread disease. This was fundamentally key. Back then, AIDS was spread by behavior. There were two things. If you didn't want to get AIDS, there were two things that you could avoid and you could be assured of not getting AIDS. Well, or HIV, which is the virus that causes AIDS. One of those things was uh, was gay 
male anal sex. The other was taking your chance on a contaminated blood transfusion. Well, that couldn't stand. That we couldn't let that. that, that no, 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 no. That, that that. So, Dr. Fauci helped popularize the idea that it was not behaviorally spread. He became the number one defender of the group that was the most susceptible to getting AIDS. As such, he was immediately loved, adored, protected by the American media, the American left, even though some in the in the AIDS activist community had problems with Fauci, it was because he wouldn't go far enough. So Fauci's career since then has blossomed and been promoted to where now he is the nation's foremost authority on disease, period. And Trump inherits that. Trump becomes president, but over there at the NIH is Dr. Fauci. So when this hits, I'm going to jump forward. I'm just trying to explain to you here why and how Fauci's untouchable. Well, I say untouchable. Trump could fire him, but I mean, what do you think would happen if that, if, if, I'm sure that if, if Trump did that, that would have been akin to firing Mueller during the Mueller investigation. He could have done it, but the judgment was made it wouldn't be worth the hassle that it created. And the same thing here. So I, I actually think when this all started... You know, Donald Trump is not that hard to understand. He doesn't hate people. He loves everybody. And he wants to be liked and respected himself, like we all do. I think that he did not consider that he would be taken advantage of or that he would be disrespected or used by these people. Because of the severity of this, the seriousness of it, I think that he expected that all of these people would be unified and behind him in his efforts to deal with the virus and to come up with policies to limit the damage. And I think he thought they'd be supportive of the efforts he put in place to build ventilators and uh, come up with a uh, correct number of masks and any number of other uh, elements to this. Now, I could be wrong about he, 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 he may not he, he may have awakened and he may not have been uh, fooled by these people. <clears throat> I, I hope I'm wrong about it, actually, but I think it, if, if it is, it's simply because of the severe nature of this. I, look, I know he knows that they hate him. And there, there's no question that they do. They despise him. They resent him. Everybody, every bit as much as the Russian collusion crowd resents him for being president. But I really think that he was hoping they would put it aside for this. 
This is a deadly pandemic, and I'm thinking that he's thinking that maybe they'll put it aside for this. Well, he knows they didn't now. He knows the blue state governors are tanking on purpose. He knows that they are attempting to go belly up to get a federal bailout to wipe out every fiscal problem that they have. He knows he's got to get the country up and running. He's probably aware that he was being taken advantage of and being disrespected again, despite his best efforts to meet these health and medical people on his task force halfway. And I don't think all of them are, are, are out to um, frustrate him. But some of them are. Now, some of this was also because he had to, because of who Fauci and Burks are and the, and, and the place they occupy in the public trust. They're just some realities that you can't change, that you have to adapt to if you're Trump. I think that he felt that he was bending the bow as far as he could without breaking it so that he could say he listened to the experts. He tried to follow the science. He did what he did to save lives. He went along with the shutdown when they told him 2.2 million could die. He said, they told you, sir, you got to shut it down. You got to shut it down. I shut it down. He now realizes we got to go back. We got to open back up or we're not going to bounce back. And if anybody knows it, he knows it. And I really hope that he has the five months that it may take to get the country moving. I'm hoping that what I've heard about the virus may be going dormant with warm weather in most of the country. I hope that happens. I hope it does go dormant. And by the way, these people predicting a second wave, that's a wild guess, too. That's just more negative fear-mongering. It may happen, it may not. We don't know until it happens. He would have been eaten alive if he had not engaged in some kind of lockdown. He would have been eaten alive politically. So he had to do it. Two weeks would have been my max, tops, but I'm just a guy on a radio, and I don't have any responsibility on my shoulders about this at all. So it's easy for me to sit here and, and offer armchair analysis. But I think he had to do what he did, and I think he had to acknowledge it. He had to make it look like he was working with these people because they have the public trust. I, I think the weather, the natural attenuation of virus is going to prevent a major return of it. And everybody's the, the drive-bys in the media all hopefully writing about the second wave. And I have not fallen for that. But if Trump can get the economy looking like it's going to be okay by September or October, then he'll be able to say that he beat the virus and he saved the country. Now, while this period of time between now and October is going on, you're going to still have all these naysayers out there. You're going to have all these people saying he's screwing it up, that he doesn't care, that uh, Trump's killing people, all this sort of, he's got to persevere. Now, here's what, you, this is what you got to keep to yourself. This is what you can't tell anybody about how to deal with, with uh, the Fauci's of the task force and, and, and whoever else that 
occupies a similar position of standing. You listen to them. You keep them on the task force. You praise them to the heavens. You thank them every day for their contributions. You ask them for more. You continue to seek their expertise. And then you just ignore everything they tell you. You go talk to your other experts, consult other people that may have a different perspective or different thoughts, different predictions. But you can't just, he can't just go in and fire these people on his task force that he put together, that he and Pence put together, that that he and Pence have praised and thanked and uh, and all that. I, I know what you're all thinking. You're thinking that he's surrounded by a bunch of saboteurs. And because you're Republicans and conservatives, you think the saboteurs win every time they try it. And you think that the Republicans are gullible and don't see what's coming until it's too late, till they're already destroyed. Well, I understand your thinking on that, but that's not applicable with, uh, with Trump. He knows full well who's lined up against him. He knows full well how they're trying to pull it off. He knows completely what the agenda of the people who are trying to destroy him is, and he knows the links to which they will go. So don't think that the saboteurs have fooled him. But there is a way you deal with them publicly, and, and it's, it's the way I just laid out. I got to take a break. We'll come back, resume with you on the phones, and uh, CNN's melting down. Trump's just had one of his best ever polls in CNN, particularly in battleground states, and they can't believe it. Okay, back to the firing squad we go. Rush Limbaugh back to the phones to, uh, this is Anna in Bellevue, Washington. It's great to have you with us. Hi. Hi, Rush. So my question is this. In these states that are postponing school, why don't parents just pull their kids out of the school system entirely and homeschool them that, and just kind of make it a game plan? So for the next year, we don't know what the school district is going to do. We don't know if one of us is going to have a job or both of us are going to have a job. But we take our kid home. We homeschool them. The school district, the taxes, the money that they get from the federal government comes uh, comes to us directly. Ha! So, ha! You think you're going to get tax money for educating your kids? I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying it's a possibility. And it's something for people to think about. I think if enough people opted that way, there would be a chance at least to take it to the federal government and say, look, we, we want the money, not the school district. Where is <laughs> our kids? Right. Okay, let let me. I, I can see that I have uh, I, I have I started your brain thinking in a way that I didn't intend. So I got to go back and correct. I made an observation. Doctor Fauci yesterday said that he doesn't think we're going to be able to open the schools in the fall. Um, and uh, then you know, Lamar was saying, "What do you mean you can't open the schools?" And Fauci supposedly backtracked. Well, I didn't quite mean that, but he did. 
Can't open till we get a vaccine. Can't do sports. Fans in the stands, we get a vaccine, whatever else. And I point the, the practical reaction. If you tell a bunch of parents that schools are not going to reopen, what's the... That, that means they can't go back to work. I was trying to describe for you its own little self-contained conspiracy here, folks. By sending health experts out to tell you the schools aren't going to reopen, they're forcing you to stay home and not go to your jobs. They're, they're, they're helping keeping the economy locked down. <clears throat> My point is there are people attempting to ruin Donald Trump. They're trying to get rid of him, just as during the Trump-Russia collusion story, just during the fake Ukraine impeachment story. Now this is being used to get rid of Trump by destroying the U.S. economy. The last thing these people want is for you going back to work. So if they close your kids' schools, guess what? You can't go back to work. And what does that mean? The economy stays effectively locked down. That's why they don't want to open the schools. So you heard that. You said, oh, well, then we should all homeschool. Uh, what have people been doing in the, in the past two months? That's, that's what people have been doing. But let's look. Uh, it's not something every parent, every family is going to do. There are some families who need schools for their kids to go to so they can leave the house during the day. To work, to go see the mistress, I don't care what it is. Most people are not going to homeschool. And even though it'd be a great thing, and it is a great thing, and I'm a big advocate of it, uh, it was not my intended reaction that people have. You tell people that it's not safe to open the schools. People are going to do whatever they have to to protect their kids. So you send the world's foremost authority out to say, schools, I don't think we can open them up. No, 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 no. Well, you're, you're telling parents that they can't go to work. At least one of them. They got to stay home with the kids. Can't leave the kids home alone. Somebody has to be there. Who's going to have the money to hire a babysitter, nanny, whatever? Nobody has a job. Nobody's job's open. This guarantees that nobody's job will open up. It's insidious to sit out there. We're talking about the age group of people least likely to acquire the virus. Crumb crunchers, skulls full of mush. Young skulls full of mush. And homeschooling, while it's a wonderful thing, is not something most parents uh, are inclined to do. And then the idea, I think it'd be, it's really great thinking that the state would happily give you the tax revenue to teach your kids, but they don't have the money to give. You're not working. Nobody's paying taxes. Well, I take that back. They're still trying to collect property taxes. I think, I think if they prevent you from working, you ought to be able to tell them, screw your taxes. How the hell can I pay you property tax when you won't open my job?
anyway, I am, uh, I'm, I'm out of time. There's not much more I can add to that. Um, if you want to homeschool, it's fine. Don't want anybody misunderstanding. I'm not, I'm not criticizing it. I, I was trying to explain how they are subtly succeeding in continuing the lockdown here by finding ways to keep you from going to work. Well, we have a little breaking news here, folks. It looks like the acting director of National Intelligence, Rick Grinnell, has indeed released some names in the unmasking documents that he found. Uh, and and what there there's 39 names, and apparently, and this is still coming in. So I'm just I'm just getting this on the fly. So I need to uh, allow for some of this to be corrected later if I've misunderstood it. I was listening really quickly during the break. There are 39 names of people who requested to know who Flynn had been talking to or who the Russian ambassador had been talking to. 39 people in the Obama administration who requested that Flynn be unmasked. It is not yet a list of people who did unmask. It's a list of 39 people in the Obama regime who asked for Flynn to be unmasked. Who is this guy in these transcripts we're reading talking to the Russian ambassador? The names include Biden, Comey, James Clapper, John Brennan. Samantha Power, who was Obama's ambassador to the U.N., she apparently has the most requests to know who it was in the transcripts they were reading in conversations with the Russian ambassador. Now, it could well be, as the afternoon goes on, that these are names that also, when they found out, did release Flynn's name. But as far as I can tell, during the break, these are the big names of people who wanted Flynn to be unmasked. They're reading transcripts of the various phone calls the Russian ambassador has had. And some of these calls supposedly really intrigued them. And they asked, who's he talking to here? So they requested to know. It's illegal for them to know if, if, if. If an American is caught up in this surveillance when he's not the target, and Flynn was never the target in well, <laughs> we say, uh, actually he was, but not the name target. The name target, the reason they got the wiretap was Kislyak, the uh, Russian ambassador. So in that case, any American who's caught talking in a surveilled wiretap is protected, not supposed to be identified. But all these people wanted to know who it was. We all know what went on here. They were setting Flynn up. They were setting up KT McFarland. They were, they did this, they were setting up any number of people they could, but they set Flynn up. This business of setting Flynn up began actually in December, long before he was having conversations on the phone with a Russian ambassador. And the reason for that They had to get Flynn out of the position of director of national security because as such, he would know every intelligence community activity going on, including the spying on Trump. They had to get him out of there. And that's one of the reasons they were setting up. Folks, this past Saturday, 
would have marked the 168th annual graduation ceremony at the campus of Hillsdale College. Now, they've, they've rescheduled the ceremony for mid-July so that the school can provide the proper recognition and ceremony to, to their graduates. If you're an undergraduate at Hillsdale, you, you have a classic liberal arts education among the best in this country. If you're a Hillsdale graduate or if you've met one, <laughs> you, you've met, been introduced, and become familiar with the, with the magic, the enduring values of their constitution, it is taught front and center at Hillsdale. You can't graduate without a proficiency in understanding the U.S. Constitution. The professors at Hillsdale, they love it. They love teaching, and they, they, they love the whole process of learning. It's, there's, it's nothing assembly line-like. It's, it's just not, okay, here's this year's uh, class. Let's run them through. Let's see what they did. There's an active attempt with every student to make them better people, to round up their education, to have their time spent at Hillsdale College to be among the most valuable in their lives. It's a remarkable place. It's never had to rely on government subsidies. As a result, they are self-sufficient. They're able to determine a curriculum without government involvement. And you know, you can take courses that Hillsdale offers free online at rushforhillsdale.com. They offer them. There's no strings attached. If you want to take some of their Constitution courses, courses on uh, the, the founding and the formation of Congress, just it's there. Just go take a look at the rushforhillsdale.com. And any course you want to take, multiple lectures, 40 minutes, usually each one, 40 to 45. Il Fribo, folks, rushforhillsdale.com. Here's David Medford, Oregon. You're next, sir. Hello. Rush is so great to talk to you, and I can't believe how strong your voice sounds. Yeah, you know, how strong you are. I'm glad to you hear know, that. I, uh, really glad to hear I'm, that. I'm, Thank you. Well, I'm a little younger than you. I know a lot of people that have gone through health situations like yours, and I'll just tell you that that the, the power and the strength that you're demonstrating is uh, pretty pretty dead gun amazing. I'll tell you. Well, thank you, sir. Very much. Very very much. So, so and here, here's here's the deal out in Oregon. I I don't know uh, what other blue states look like, but uh, Oregon hasn't been a blue state forever. It used to be uh, business-friendly. A lot of people probably looking at it going, what what the heck uh, happened? And, the edu- and you've talked a lot about education, and uh, you know that education has been, for lack of a better term, weaponized by the, by the left. And I'm just going to give you an idea what that looks like in, in uh, my state and why our governor, Kate Brown, really has a very practical reason for wanting to keep business shut down. So we're a low-population state. we got about 4.2 million people. As far as COVID cases, 70% of all the cases in Oregon are in about five of our 36 counties. So from uh, a data point of view, it doesn't make sense to shut down the whole state and visit that economic damage on everybody. But here's the deal. This financial damage is not equitably distributed. There is a class of worker in the state of Oregon who is still financially healthy, and those are all the workers that receive a government paycheck. So uh, your teachers, your firemen, and, and, you know, not that they should, not that they're not earning it, but the reality is, is they are where we have tens of thousands of people. You know, we have record unemployment claims in our state. So what does that mean? We're in a political season, and in, in our state, the, the political left receives the majority of their funding 
from uh, government unions. This 500-pound gorilla in the Oregon legislature is the Oregon Education Association, the teachers' union. That's the 500-pound gorilla in Oregon politics. So in politics, you fight with money. So on one side, you have all the uh, government employee unions that are still fully funded. But on the other side, you have private business who have really all been cut off at the knees. So you have a situation where just from a practical point of view, you know, without without the philosophy or anything else, just practically going into an election season, the left side still has all of their funding mechanisms almost 100, uh, 100% intact. But the people on the private business side, we're lucky if we have, I, I'm just going to pick a number, 40% of the funding to work with that we would normally have in an election. Now, that's actually a very good point. Let me ask you a question. If the president of the United States were a Democrat, would your state be shut down? Unlikely. <laughs> Unlikely. No Unlikely. chance. No ch- California would not be shut down. Oregon would not be shut down. Colorado would not be shut Whatever it were, it, 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 Illinois would not be shut down if the president of the United States were a Democrat. Just it wouldn't be. But that is an excellent point that, that you're making that the uh, the private sector funding mechanisms for political campaigns have been frozen with the lockdown. And the longer it goes on, the longer that discrepancy exists. Meanwhile, the public employee unions are getting paid. They're government employees. They're being paid. Federal state doesn't matter. And their union dues are being automatically deducted and sent to various stages of the Democrat Party. Great call. I got to go, however, back with more in just a second. So stay with All right. Let me give you that list of names that I mentioned a moment ago who requested that Michael Flynn's name be unmasked for. The first name I mentioned was Joe Biden. Vice President Joe Biden, who's all over Good Morning America this week, so you know nothing about any of it regarding Flynn. If I have time, I'll get to the sound bites on that. So Joe Biden, uh, James Comey, James Clapper, Samantha Power made the most requests of anybody. John Brennan, the the CIA director. Um, And you're going to find Susan Rice's name on this. Now, again, these names are people who requested to know who it was talking to Kislyak. And they may be in time. These may be the names of people that actually did the unmasking. So... This stuff is the blanks are still being filled in here because the DNI, Director of National Intelligence, Rick Grinnell, just released this stuff uh, at the bottom of the hour break about uh, 23 minutes ago. We just had a call from Oregon. Listen to this. This is a story from the Washington Examiner. Washington to make reopening restaurants keep a daily log of patron names and contact information. A virus that is a threat to the elderly and people with underlying health issues and nursing homes in poorly run blue states is the reason being used to shut down economies. So now, restaurants in Washington, who's going to go out and eat if you've got to give your contact information? You have to give the, your name and whatever else the authorities want if you're going to go out to eat in the state of Washington. Male waiters, male bartenders. Hi, can I have your number? Hi, can I have your contact information? I have to collect it for the state before you can be served. 
And oh man, oh man. Uh, you know, folks, one of the one of the untold stories of the nationwide shutdown is how parents have had to become. We've just talked about this. Parents have had to become homeschoolers, home teaching instructors. Parents have become teachers at home. Schools are closed. They've had no choice. They don't want their kids to not learn, so they've had to go about the process themselves. Uh, Many school districts decided to continue instruction using Zoom or other online services, keep kids connected to the schools. Many kids uh, are online every day, all day, between schools, staying connected with friends, and they're watching whatever they, they gravitate towards. But a lot of parents have had to step up here. Now, Norton, a leader in cybersecurity, they see what's going on, and they're offering a suggestion to every parent involved. They have a security service called Norton Family. It's meant to help supervise your kids' online activities and keep them away from websites with unsuitable content. And they're offering it free right now. Lest you think that this is an attempt to capitalize, Norton is offering it free for six months until everybody's back in school. You can sign up today with Norton Family and immediately have a better sense of online security for your kids. It lets you monitor their activities as you need or as you want. It gives you peace of mind that they're not accidentally giving away information that they shouldn't. I mean, it really is a great service. Sign up today, norton.com slash family. You don't need to put down any payment information. That's right. It's not a secret way to get your credit card data that they're going to start charging in six months. It's not that. Because you don't need to put down any payment info at all. Sign up to benefit from Norton Family. Norton.com slash family. The offer is available until the end of the month. It's a security service designed to, I mean, it's rooted in the fact that everybody's online more than ever because of this. And you can't police everywhere your kids are going, nor who is trying to reach out to them. Norton family will help you out. Uh, CNN is beside themselves, beside themselves. Donald Trump has tied his highest approval rating yet in the CNN poll. Tied with his record high. Here's John King this morning on CNN announcing it. Brand new CNN poll numbers. They show Joe Biden with a national lead in the race for president. But there are warning signs for the Democrat when you dig deeper into the numbers. It is a five-point national lead for Biden. 51% support from registered voters. President Trump receives 46%. But remember 2016. We picked presidents state by state. And look at the horse race in the 15 states that CNN designates as presidential battlegrounds. Take a peek. The president leads in those battleground states, 52% to 45% for the former vice president. That's big. Be careful not to invest too much in any one poll, especially in the middle of a pandemic. But Biden's numbers are down among women, down among independents. And in both of those subgroups, the drop is primarily among younger voters. Right. So you catch the disclaimer there. Uh, be careful not to invest too much in any one poll, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Why would the middle of a pandemic matter to a hill of beans? So, you know, that CNN and everybody's had these polls showing Biden doing really well in the battleground states, in the states where Trump got enough Democrat votes to win. 
And now all of that's turned south. In addition to that, Biden looks totally at home in the basement. He has no desire to leave. And if if those of you out there who have had a family member who has acquired uh, dementia-related you know that they get scared to death of leaving home. I guarantee you, I guarantee the Democrats cannot permit this to go on, and they won't. And I think it's going to be the Cuomo brothers. I think it's going to be Libba. Andrew Cuomo going to hijack or try to the Democrat convention. You mark my words. Fastest three hours in media. But if you somehow didn't get your chance... To line up and beat me up for whatever isn't going right, try your luck tomorrow. We'll be right back here and revved and ready to go, and we shy away from none of that or any of that. So look forward to tomorrow. We'll see you then, folks. Have a great next 21 hours or so. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 